Everything has a beginning. Our city had a beginning. Our church had a beginning. Each of you had a beginning. Every morning before the beginning of her class, a teacher would write the date on the board. And if it had, if something significant had happened that day in history, she would make a note about that. Well, it came to October 12th, and she decided she wouldn't insult their intelligence by writing Columbus Day up there. So she just wrote, over 500 years ago today, something grand happened. And so then she went out into the hallway to monitor the students, of course, and when she came back in, 27 voices started singing, happy birthday to you. (laughs) So The gospel has a beginning. And the book of Mark has a beginning. And it goes like this. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Can you see it at the top of a research paper? There's no verb. But here it is. The beginning is like a title. It's right there in front of us. Centered and italicized. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Matthew and Luke start their Gospels with ancestry and with a baby, but not Mark. Mark likes to do things differently. He's always succinct, and he's always driving forward the action, and so he sets the stage in a different way. He jumps back about 600 years to quote Isaiah. It was a famous Jewish prophet. We have not only read his words today in the opening of worship, but we have also heard them sung from the choir. So here he said there, was, there would be a voice of a messenger crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths <clears throat> excuse me, straight. Make his paths straight. And that which Isaiah foretold is now being fulfilled in a person called John the Baptist, or sometimes John the Baptizer. Think of places you know that have been straightened. If you've lived in Roanoke for years, maybe you remember going up Bent Mountain before some of its curves were straightened out. Or Old Cave Spring Road, when that was South 221. Those are the two that popped in my mind, but probably you can think of some mountains somewhere where you can tell that at one time there was a curve way out, and then instead of having that really tight curve at the edge, then some of the mountain had been shaved off. And so it made for quicker passage, and it made for better vision. And I think this is what the point that Isaiah and Mark, too, are trying to get at this morning. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight so he can come quickly and so he can be seen when he does. John the baptizer, the baptist, the messenger, the one preparing the way for Jesus. Here he is out in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism for repentance. Oh, wait, i got to get this right. I have to look. 
a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, that sounds odd to us, or if we've heard it in church for years, it's just another phrase that we've heard for years. But repentance wasn't an expectation for baptism at the time. That was usually withheld for the Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. Those were the ones who got baptized. So this idea of repentance was new. John knew us. He knew people. He knew that we all have a sense of uncleanness. And he knew that we all have a few regrets. And he knew that we all need a sense of fresh beginnings. And so he was inviting everyone. No one was excluded from this party. Their confessions of sins were making straight a way for God to enter their hearts. A few weeks ago, we heard people singing better than this, but come on, sinners, let's go down, down to the river to pray. John Ortberg tells about what happens when someone does confess his sin and repents and is baptized and begins to pray. He tells about Bob, who was an insurance salesman, and Bob became a Christian through the friendship and discipleship of a man named Doug. After, they, after Bob became a Christian, he and Doug spent time together so that he could understand what it really means. What, what changes do I need to make in my life now that I am a Christian? And so one day they were talking about prayer. At the close of their time together, Doug asked Bob what he felt impressed to pray for. And Bob said, Africa. And Doug said, be more specific. And so he named a country in Africa. And so then Doug gave him some homework. He said, pray for this country for the next 30 days. And if something major happened, no, wait, if nothing major, nothing significant happened, he would pay Bob $500. But if nothing significant happened, then Bob would owe him $500. So, and the bet was off if he, if he didn't pray every day. So he did. And toward the end of those 30 days, Bob was wondering, you know, and noticing that nothing significant had happened. And then he was attending a dinner where there was someone from that country and he lit up when he learned about this, and so he asked about her work. She was working in a medical center there, and Bob asked question after question. He was so interested and enthusiastic that the woman invited him over to come and see their work that they were doing. And so he did. He took her up, up on the offer, and he flew over. And what he saw there was painful for him, saddening. They had such limited facilities So when he flew back, he wrote some pharmaceutical companies about the needs that he saw. And soon he had over a million dollars in donated supplies to send to this country. It was such a major contribution that Bob was then invited back to the country to see what was happening with the new supplies. And this time they paid for his airfare. 
Well, the president of the country heard about his gift and his help, met Bob, invited him to the palace, showed him around parts of the country, around the capital. And Ortberg points out that, remember, that Bob is just a quiet, unassuming insurance salesman. But he's touring the capital of this country with the president, and while doing so, he saw some prisoners. He asked the president why they were in prison, and the president said that they were political prisoners who disagreed with his philosophy of governing. Imagine that. Bob simply told him it wasn't a good idea. So Bob comes back to the U.S. He receives then a call from the State Department in the middle of the night. They verify who he is and whether or not he had seen some prisoners and spoken with that particular president. And Bob, of course, affirmed their information. And the representative then said to Bob, Those are political prisoners we have been working to free for a very long time. They have been freed, Bob. What did you say? And Bob said, I told him it wasn't a good idea. That was it. Well, later, Bob gets invited back by the president to evaluate his proposed selections for the cabinet. It's It reminds me of a a justice-oriented Cinderella story where, you know, here's Cinderella who all of a sudden gets raised to the princess, and here's Bob, the humble insurance salesman, who all of a sudden is politicking with one of the presidents of an African country. And it began with repentance and with a commitment to pray. As I mentioned about Second Peter, it was written decades after Jesus' life to try to help Christians understand that God's timing is different from ours. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The people thought, the Christians thought, that Jesus would have returned by then to their world of pain a world of persecution, is he ever going to come and save us from this sinful place? And Peter says that one day, in God's time, not ours, it will be as if a great refining fire burns away all the impurities of the world, leaving only those things which are pure and precious. The sinful structures burn away, and the promises of new heavens and a new earth will come come to pass. But in the meantime, what do we do in the meantime? But in the meantime, God's gracious gift of time and patience invites us to turn around. That's the word repent. Turn around back towards God. Psalm 139 praises God for knowing us intimately. It begins with, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And later in the middle, it says, It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
in an email devotional sent out by Roanoke College this week. Thank you, Tim. Reverend Paul Gunston wrote about God continuing to create us. He said, Our Hebrew sisters and brothers remind us that the new day does not start with our rising in the morning. And he reiterates from earlier, it's not about us in the mornings, it's about God. But the new day begins at sunset. When we are at rest, God is actively beginning the new day that we will enter into. God has already started the day, lovingly preparing it for us and us for the day and us for others so that we might enter into God's work, speaking God's word through our words and making the real presence of Christ known in our actions. And so we pray from the psalm, a psalm, Gracious God, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You knitters on the prayer shawl ministry team can imagine better than those of us who don't knit what it means when it says God knit us together in the womb. We think today about how God knit us together at the beginning, how God continues to reform us each day or even several times a day every now and then throughout our lives. It's not like God creates us and then, you know, flicks us off the shoulder like a like we would flick a bug. We're not left isolated and alone. God remains intimately involved with us and when we submit to God who has been described as a potter, When we submit to the potter's hands, we find that we are reformed into a vessel of beauty and efficacy. It's just so slow sometimes. We move forward and we fall backward, and we try again to move forward and we fall backward. Today's scriptures remind us that we always have the opportunity for a new beginning. I think we need to hear that over and over. We always have the opportunity for a new beginning. My friend Diane recently returned to Roanoke from a visit to a Palestinian village in Israel. She spent time while she was there with a woman named Ibtissam, a Muslim woman who spoke her wishes when she was a young girl that she wanted to be a lawyer one day. Her father, hearing this, knew that that would take her away from the village, and so he had her engaged at age 13 and married at age 17. And so Ibtissam did what she was supposed to. She took care of her family, and she did what she needed to in the village. But her, the, the boundaries of the village did not contain her mind. And after many years, and with her husband's support, she began a, an organization called Women Reborn. And so she works with several women in the village to talk about leadership. And to teach them how to be leaders and how to, um, to recognize that they have good ideas too. 
And so they carry then the, their learnings back to their families. And that affects positive changes within their families. Now, Iptisam has also done something which was crazy over there. She walked across the road from her Muslim village to the Jewish village and just began knocking on doors and introducing herself and trying to build some relationships with people who, of course, are very different from each other and have been really taught to hate each other. But she's doing her part in trying to create peace right where she is. Now, originally she was ostracized by the other villages, villagers where she is, and then over time, as the, they have seen what good it's doing, they have begun to embrace her and embrace her vision. And um, it, it has spread so far that now she's one of, I think, 50 unsung heroes around the world who the Dalai Lama will be honoring um, sometime next year in California. The wheels of change grind slowly. But there is one woman who is working within the bounds of time to empower other women to be stronger and more confident and to make changes, to make changes that are peaceful changes. Peacemaking is slow work. But we hope and pray that eventually that will have a trickle-up effect so that the government leaders one day will aim for peace as well. Like Jesus of Nazareth did, this Muslim woman, Ibtisam, had a humble beginning. But she grew to do great things. And like Jesus of Nazareth did, Ibtisam has taken on her culture and sought to recreate it in the image of the God of love and mercy and peace. And our beginnings? What's your beginning? You feel like you had a humble beginning and do you feel like that would keep you from doing things this, in this world that could be great, that could actually make a global difference? No. No. Each of us has that power within us. I think it begins with prayer. And this will be a successful sermon if, in the coming mornings... A few more of you thank God for preparing you through the night for a new day and begin praying for yourself, for this church, for the world, to make a greater difference in God's world. The creation is not complete. God is still creating. And every moment of life we have is a gift. As we move those together, the moments that we have and God's power to recreate, we will see more and more Christ's presence in our world. Let's pray together. Holy God, we do thank you for the power that you have put inside each one of us. We ask today that you would work within our hearts and minds to fulfill your purposes. Help us to be your messengers of peace and of mercy and of hope. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.